This is Animals Voice podcast presented by the Ontario SPCA with 50 communities working together for animal welfare. We've got another great show for you on the way, so put your paws up, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Animals Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McKenzie, and thank you once again for joining us. Uh, our guest this week, joining us via Skype, is Paul Little Ray Goulet, founder and director of Little Ray's Reptile Zoo. How are you, sir? Hey, good guys. Thanks for having me on. We, uh, we are very excited to talk to you. It's such a cool topic. And I guess first, I'd like to hear uh, a little bit about yourself. How long have you been involved with, with exotic pets? Well, I guess uh, for, for me, it uh, it started in at a very young age. I was fascinated. I grew up in the Northwest Territories, and I had this, you know, child fascination with dinosaurs, as many people do. Uh, by the time I was three years old, I had come to the sad realization that. Uh, uh, you couldn't own a T-Rex, but a boa constrictor. Now that's something you can have. And this uh, this love affair with reptiles and associating them with dinosaurs kind of started at a very young age for me. And I was lucky to travel with my family. Um, and I'd always go to the zoos and talk to the reptile keepers. And uh, my parents were very supportive of that, even though my father, Big Ray, terrified of snakes, but uh, still very supportive. And um, when I was in high school, there wasn't a lot of jobs in zoos in Canada. My secondary uh, choice was to be a teacher. So I started doing volunteer programs. I just had a couple, like literally four pet reptiles when I was in high school. And I started volunteering, going to schools, talking to kids about animals to be uh, for part of our my teacher's college uh, resume. Long story short, got done university. Um, never ended up going to teacher's college. People continued to call and ask me to come out and do educational programs. Before long, I was being called by the SBCA, the Humane Society here in Ottawa, to help with the placement of unwanted pet reptiles. Uh, and things just started to grow and explode. And in 2000, November 4th, 2000, uh, Sherry, my wife, and I opened Little Ray's Reptile Zoo, an actual zoo open uh, that people could visit. And in 1995, we formalized our business by opening Little Ray's Reptile Adventure. So I guess professionally, I've been doing it for just uh, over 18 and a half years. Nice. And so you just mentioned Ottawa. So that's where you guys are located? We are located in Ottawa. We do have another zoo open in Hamilton now, though, right downtown Hamilton and um, uh uh, Barton Street East at the corner of Barton and Gage. We just opened another facility, a uh, very educational facility there that people can come to. Same type of mandates. We help with the, uh, uh, we do help the SBCA with the placement of unwanted pet uh, reptiles and so forth. Actually, ironically enough, I just got a call today about two boa constrictors and the Burmese python in Hamilton that uh, somebody needs to get rid of. So it, it's nice. We, we get a lot of calls from southern Ontario. It's nice to have a, a location down there that's mm-hmm. uh, a little easier to service, you know, whether it be the SPCA, Municipalities, Environment Canada, whoever needs our help, uh, as well as uh, do educational programs for the public. I, I think one of the big challenges these days with exotic animals is people are drawn to them. They're drawn to the simplicity or the ease of which they perceive the care of maintenance of a reptile versus a dog or a cat. I mean, reptiles as pets are becoming increasingly common, but they have very unique challenges that not everybody considers. I mean, we see fewer and fewer families getting dogs and cats because they don't have the time, and they're getting leopard geckos and corn snakes, which may be very appropriate pets. But even there, things like longevity uh, become an issue uh, with, with a lot of these animals. So, 
they can be very good pets in the right environment, but but there's a lot of considerations people have to know. And and we're talking about you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different species that are readily available in pet stores today that all need different care, have different uh, size requirements, and and so forth. So as you just mentioned a couple different species. Talk to me about what type of exotic animals people can have as pets versus ones that maybe they should avoid. Well, I, I, I think I think for the most part, I mean, things that reach a, a reasonable maximum size first and foremost is uh, is is a consideration for people. Um, we we obviously snakes have got a lot of publicity this summer after that uh, tragic incident on the east coast, and you know, large snakes are being sold. Um, as as pets, they still are being sold in our country as pets. I mean, people buy them when they're 18 inches, 24 inches long. They like the idea of having a 15, 16 foot long snake, 18, 20 foot long snake when they're full growing. Um, I guess I should be using metric, but uh, you know, these four to uh, six meter long snakes, people love the 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 idea of that, but have at times not enough expertise for caring for them. And there are certainly some people out there that do, and. I, I think the bigger issue is in our country. There, we, we just do not have standardized licensing for 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 things like this. You know, we, we we have gun licenses, we have drivers licenses, we have licenses for dogs and cats that are certainly not near as restrictive as what a license should be to own a big snake. But but we don't have licenses for animals that could be deemed as as potentially dangerous. So I mean, to answer your questions, good pets would be things like smaller geckos. Uh, smaller species of snakes, uh, that uh, smaller lizards. I said geckos, but you know, there's bearded dragons, Euromastics if they're captive bred. Uh, there are a lot. There's still you know dozens and dozens and dozens of readily available captive bred, pretty much domesticated reptiles. We said I said pythons before. Ball pythons are very much domesticated. They're they're bred for a variety of different color variations, and it's a smaller species of python that full grown might be five feet. 1.2 to 1.5 meters long when they're full grown. So you're talking about an animal that that can reasonably be cared for uh, in in a, you know a smaller environment that somebody could have in their house. With that being said, you know longevity with some of these animals become a concern. If you're buying an animal for your eight year old son that lives 20 to 25 years. I don't think you can reasonably be expecting your son to commit to an animal when he's eight years old uh, till he's 35 years old. Okay. So, I mean, you mentioned that sometimes there are tragedies, and I, I definitely think that there's a stigma around having certainly reptiles and certain exotic yeah. animals. Um, I, I'll be honest, I'm a, I, I have cats, dogs, I'm a cat dog guy. Uh, I'm not sure I, I would want a snake in my house, but yeah. I, don't, I don't necessarily begrudge those who want a different type of pet experience. What are, what are some of the misconceptions around having an exotic animal as a pet? You must, you must encounter this a lot. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, you just to talk very briefly about that situation on the East Coast, and I am by no means, uh, you know, I had somebody when I when I talked about this, you know, send me a message on Facebook saying, look, we appreciate your expertise, but it almost sounds like you're defending 
your your animals and by no means I, I want to come across as I'm defending snakes. That incident uh, illustrated the real risk of having a large animal like that in an uncontrolled environment. Uh, it is real. It's not a, now. The risk is very rare. I mean, that was uh, I believe they were the 11th and 12th deaths caused by a snake via constriction in uh, North America going back to the early 1990s, I believe 1991. So there have now been 12 incidents of this happening. There are tens of thousands of giant snakes sold as pets every year in North America. That incident in itself certainly illustrated that the risk is real and there is a danger, um, you know, compared to some other animals that people interact with, you know, whether it be horses or dogs. I mean, the stats are actually quite low. The incident of two, that's the first time in the world that has ever happened, that one snake is constricted and killed two people. It's never been documented before. So that certainly was a, a freak accident. Um, but, you know, in terms of, I, I guess, responsible pet ownership, you know, that this is a case where there needs to be more control of some of these, if they're going to be sold, if there's no control and they're not, if it's not being regulated, if, if they're not being inspected by professionals that understand all the risks associated with owning an animal like that, um, they shouldn't be getting sold in the pet trade. It's that simple. So you just mentioned, uh, you know, snakes getting sold in the pet trade, for example. Uh, yeah. What what types of things should someone look out for to make sure that they're getting a healthy exotic animal, like a from a reputable place? Well, one of my biggest frustrations, and I, I do, you know, there's a difference of opinion with people on this, but you know, I can today walk into too many pet stores and see. 40 different species of reptiles being sold and with uh, half of them being wild caught animals. First and foremost, if you're going to buy Billy, a pet uh, gecko or a pet lizard or whatever, you know, you don't want to be buying them an animal that's been taken from the wild for, for multiple reasons. I mean, first and foremost, just from an ethical standpoint, why are we still taking animals from the wild and importing them into Canada so kids can have them as pets? I have no problem. Captive breeding programs, species survival programs, professionals uh, that are getting permits to import these animals into a captive environment to try to reproduce them for whatever purpose. But a, a, a child walking into a pet store who has no idea what they're doing buying a cat buying a wild caught animal that is almost guaranteed to be riddled with parasites it's going to need vet care it's going to be under stress it's not going to do well so first and foremost people need to buy a captive bred animal as a family you need to assess and look at you know, the unique needs of these animals. I, I use the example, there might be 40 different species in a pet store and they all need some degree of care uh, that is different than another. Uh, there's a lot of great employees in a lot of stores. But, you know, we have, we have staff that have worked for us for four years that I still wouldn't necessarily put in a pet store environment to sell reptiles because it's just not, they just don't have the level of knowledge. And, and you have these wonderful staff members that are doing their best, but they get an animal in that they've never even seen before and you're, and you're, and you're trying to sell them. So I, I would just make sure that as much as these people are doing as, as good a job as they can getting information, make sure you're reading, getting online before and, and in, in double checking the information that you're getting on these animals. Another major concern, of course, is size. How big does it get? 
and uh, make sure that you do have the proper environment. I'll tell you, today with reptiles, I, it is unbelievable to me how many times I get phone calls from people or emails from somebody saying that they want to get a chameleon or they want to get a gecko or they want to get a snake and they're asking me, what is the minimum requirements to care for this animal? I, I, I want you to think about that question for just yeah, a minute. It sounds like the, the bar is being set a little bit low there. Well, yeah. Imagine if I'm going to a reputable breeder of a dog saying, okay, what is the absolute yeah. what's minimum? The, what's the least I have to do to love yeah. this thing and care for it? I know. It, yeah. it doesn't yeah. sound good. No. just So it survives. What's the least I need to do so my dog survives? And it's not good, right? So, you know, and, and, and for some reason, I, I don't know how we've gotten to this with reptiles. I, I, it, it, it seems to be a newer trend. But uh, we're, we're doing a little series of, uh, of talks ourselves on animal welfare as it pertains to reptiles in captivity. Say, look, at, we, we shouldn't be asking. We should be asking, okay, what does the animal need? And if I can provide more, what is the benefits of providing more to this animal? Um, so, so you know, having a habitat that's big enough. I mean, doing enrichment for a snake, changing its furniture, putting different smells in their cage. This is something, you know, now in the zoological community, if you go back 30 years ago, 20 years ago, people weren't doing any enrichment with reptiles. You said, look, these are, you know, non-social animals and snakes in particular. They're going to sit in the corner. As long as they have heat, food, and water, they're going to be fine. Well, you're really starting to see a push for full enrichment programs. The way we have enrichment programs for prime primates. Now, they're not as complex as primates, but there's things that we're doing to stimulate these animals. We see it every day at our zoos, where in, in the animals we have off display, where we're changing furniture, putting snake skins in other snakes' cages, um, at putting coffee beans in socks, and, and just adding different smells, different textures to their cage, changing their setups around. And it, it's unbelievable to watch how these snakes that for years have been set up in very sterile environments react to these types of situations in captivity now. And and there's no doubt that, you know, they do benefit from from some form of enrichment. And I guess to the, the last thing that I always caution, mom and dad will go into a pet store and they're buying a leopard gecko for their eight-year-old son. And as parents, when parents buy dogs and cats, nobody buys a dog for their eight-year-old son. They buy a dog as a family pet because their eight-year-old son really wants a dog and they think they can benefit from it. But if all of a sudden that dog lives for 14 years and Billy is going away to university, parents don't have an expectation that Billy has to take the dog with them. That is a family pet. And what we see a lot with reptiles is parents are like, we'll get a call and they're like, yeah, my 14-year-old, I bought my 14-year-old a gecko six years ago and he's not caring for it anymore. So we want to get rid of it. Now, I appreciate that they're calling us and they want to get rid of it. But from the beginning, there needs to be a different mindset when buying a reptile as a pet. It's no different than a dog or a cat. It is a commitment that people have for the duration of the animal's life. Your eight-year-old is going to grow up. They're going to go to university. Maybe they're going to travel. Uh, maybe they're going to get married and their significant other does not want to have a gecko or a snake as a pet. But it is reasonable that many species of snakes and geckos can live to the point where your children are getting married and having children. So you just need to understand what you're committing to. You're not committing 
to an animal until your son or daughter no longer wants to care for it. You need to be committing to this animal for the duration of its life. And many people do. I don't want to brush everyone with the same you know, statement here or, or paint everyone with the same brush, excuse me. Uh, there are a lot of people who kids go away to school and they have their son's corn snake and they come in, they talk to us at the zoo and I think it's wonderful. It makes me very happy. Mom and dad are in love with a snake that they absolutely didn't want to buy when the kid was eight years old. Now the kid is 30 and, and mom and dad still have this snake that they've had for 22 years. And I, I think that's a wonderful thing. That's cool. So, I mean, I, I approach you on the street, or I come and see you at Little Ray's Reptile Zoo, and I, I tell you I'm buying a corn snake. Yeah. You know, what, what are you going to open my eyes to when it comes to uh, supplies? What am I going to need that maybe I haven't considered? Well, I think uh, something like a corn snake is, you know, fairly easy to set up. The first thing we always tell people is that, you know, the bigger the habitat you can provide for the animal, you know, that's, you know, reasonable from an expense and uh, and, and a space um, constraint in your home, the better. A snake like a corn snake doesn't need to be living in an eight-foot long by eight foot tall cage but it, you know if you can give it something that it can fully extend in something that's four or five feet long that's great lots of climbing branches um different things for you know enrichment rocks different textures it is going to need some form of heat whether that be a heat pad or a heat light access to fresh water and a couple of hide places in a warmer area, cooler area of his cage so that the snake can feel secure. Okay. I would immediately, though, caution people about the longevity of them. Uh, now, corn snakes in particular, you know, certainly it's not uncommon for a corn snake to live 20, 25 years. They've been selectively bred for different colors the same way we've selectively, you know, bred dogs for different breeds. And as a result, dogs don't live uh, as long as a wolf would live. And the same thing holds true when you selectively uh, breed any animal, whether it be a snake or a dog, to make these different like, breeds of snakes. I mean, um, you know, same species, but different color morphs and so forth. So a corn snake reasonably, though, is still going to live 15 years. So we make sure people understand, hey, you're, you're talking about an animal that can live 15 to 20 years, and they are escape artists. Okay. If you forget to close the lid one time. I don't care how much you think that little snake is not moving around and you're like, oh, he's always tends to be in the same place. Hey, don't put the latch on your lid one night and see where your snake is. And, uh, and if they get out, they're very challenging to find. Not dangerous at all unless you have a pet hamster, um, but uh, certainly they can hide just about anywhere. Wow, okay, and, and what about cost? I mean, can you compare the cost of an exotic pet to the costs of dogs, cats, or some of the more traditional uh, pocket pets? Well, I, I think, and this is where reptiles are, we're seeing reptiles much more commonly kept as pets. The, the maintenance on keeping, if we use a corn snake as an example, you're talking about a snake that might defecate a couple times a week. You're talking about a snake, depending on the time of the year, might be fed once a week, once every two weeks, uh, depending on how you feed them. I mean, technically, they do naturally hibernate in the winter. I mean, something unbelievably cool to do is you can actually hibernate your corn snake. You can put them in hibernation for four or five months. You don't feed them. You do nothing. Uh, just keep them in a nice, cool place, and then you take them out in the spring. So from a cost standpoint, it's not the same at all. Like the, the food alone for an animal like a dog, the extra vet care that a dog would need that a snake may not is uh, a snake is a fraction 
fraction of the cost. And from a time standpoint, you, you don't have to walk your snake. You know, taking your snake out for five or ten minutes a day would be an excellent form of enrichment for them. But they certainly do not have the needs that uh, dogs or cats do financially or, or from a time standpoint. And this is where we're seeing reptiles become way more common as pets. I mean, geckos about 10 years ago in the United States uh, were the number one pet uh, ever kept by kids in the uh, in the United States, which was pretty interesting to see. It wasn't hamsters anymore. It's not dogs or cats. It was geckos. Wow. Uh, I've got to tell you that when you said you don't have to walk your snake, I immediately had a visual of uh, somebody with a snake on a leash out on the street, and uh, yeah. I'm giggling to myself. And I'm not smart. This is what I think I'm learning: is that I'm, just, I'm not very bright. So, well, you know, we do we do caution people as well who have reptiles as pets because people do take their snakes outside and they will walk out in front of their home with a snake in a public area where people are walking by. And regardless of what I think of snakes, you know, I grew up with a father who was uh, a great man but had an irrational fear of snakes. But the fear was real. It was a real fear. It was legitimate. It was kind of funny. Six foot tall, 280 pounds, giant of a man. And uh, if you showed him a snake, he would not take another step towards you. He was very cautious. So we, we do tell people if you're going to have a snake in particular as, as a pet, you know, you can't just have it out in a public place walking around. You do need to respect, you know, people that are afraid of a dog know when they go for a walk that they might see a dog. Somebody who's afraid of a snake going for a walk does not think they're going to run into a snake. And no. it can actually lead to a very stressful situation. I'm sure everybody can see the humor in it. But, hey, if you want, uh, if you want a bylaw officer to be called because of, uh, of a snake that you have, whether it's legal or not, that's a great way to get that phone call made. Wow. Now, where can our listeners go to learn more about information uh, when it comes to caring for exotic pets? Well, there's a, there's a couple of um, good resources out there, um, a couple of different sites. I mean, we tell people all the time they can email us, point us in the right direction. We, we have a group of uh, websites, I guess, that we send people to. There's uh, a few great companies for, for bearded dragons, so excellent gecko breeders uh, in Canada. There's lots of snake breeders, corn snake breeders. Um, I'm just trying to think. I, I really should have looked up uh, more of a general information site, and, and I haven't at this point in time, so I do apologize. That's all right. Google's but always a good uh, resource. Google is good, days, right? but you can find anything you want to find on Google. And I think we all know this. You know, you'd be like, you know, I think this animal needs to eat peanuts. I, I think he's going to eat peanuts. And you can look up 10 sites and every one of them will say that the animal doesn't eat peanuts. And then you find the 11th site that says, you know, my gecko loves peanuts. And you're like, oh, see, I knew it. I knew he ate peanuts. You, you completely ignore the 10 sites that don't. So I do caution everybody when you do use the internet. Here's my advice to people. When you use the internet to look up anything with animals, the first thing you have to do is find the scientific name of the animal. If you want to look up, you know, um, uh, crested gecko, don't look up crested gecko. Look up Rhacodactylus ciliatus, which is their scientific name. People using the scientific name, generally speaking, you know, or that are referencing the science scientific name, are generally speaking probably offering up a little bit more information, and not just you're not just finding something that somebody posted because they had a 
crested gecko as a pet and they're giving you their advice. They're probably people who are a little bit more serious about it. And then always reference three, four, five, six different sites and, and see what kind of information and, and look at what information is consistent across the board. And that's probably your best advice. If you go into a pet store, there are some pet stores out there that are wonderful that are doing an excellent job. But there's a lot of part-time staff there that are doing their very best to learn about reptiles. And, and they themselves may have been misinformed by somebody. Uh, if you get any information from anybody, if you call me and ask me for advice on how to keep your uromastics, I would caution you to as well listen to what I said. Go online. Cross-reference what I'm telling you. Find other reputable sources. Don't rely on one source exclusively. That would be my best advice for people. Now, but if they do want to touch base with you, uh, obviously you're a wealth of knowledge. How do people uh, track you down, Paul? Well, they can find us online at raisereptiles.com. We do have a Facebook page for Little Rays Reptile Zoo in Ottawa. We also have one for Little Rays Reptile Zoo in Hamilton, I forgot to mention, we do have uh, uh, groups in Nova Scotia and Newfoundland. Uh, there's a little branch of Zoo programs in, in Nova Scotia and Newfoundland as well. So we all have our own Facebook pages. But you can uh, certainly contact us directly at the zoo. We also have, uh, for people who are interested in adoption, we do have uh, a nonprofit organization called the Backyard Conservation Fund of Canada that we use to uh, help to place unwanted, seized, and uh, um, confiscated uh, pet reptiles that are appropriate pets. If anyone's interested in adopting a reptile, the same way you can adopt a dog or cat from the Humane Society, uh, we do have a program for that as well. That's through a nonprofit organization that we run. But Facebook, Little Rays Reptile Zoo, online, raisereptiles.com, and we would gladly answer questions uh, that people have uh, with, uh, with the care maintenance of their animals. Awesome. Listen, we really appreciate your time and joining us today. Uh, Paul Little Ray Goulet, founder and director of Little Rays Reptile Zoo. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I greatly appreciate it. We'll have to chat with you again sometime. All right. Anytime. Thanks, Excellent. Kevin. And thanks for tuning in, everybody, to another episode of Animals Voice Podcast. We want to thank some of those out there that have been so great in sharing us, uh, our broadcasts on social media. Edie the Pug, Canadian Pet Express, uh, Jamie Lee T.O. Uh, has, has begun blogging uh, about us. Modern Dog Magazine has been covering us. We're really appreciative of all these efforts and, and uh, people spreading the word. We hope you'll continue to do so. Tune in again next time for another episode. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Animals Voice Podcast. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and at our website, ontariospca.ca. Animals Voice Podcast is a production of the Ontario SPCA. The Society would like to thank all of our supporters. Together, we are the Animals Voice.